2: We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan.
3: Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay.
2: Hello, Lindsay. Hello. One of our last episodes of the year. I know. Of well, 2020. Uh,
3: Dumpster fire.
2: <laughs> I'm excited for today's show. I uh, okay. really like these stories. Yeah, me too. Um, No no new merch items in the store at BadMagicMerch.com, but we have a vast catalog to explore if you haven't already. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, Only one quick announcement to make before we jump into previews, and that is uh, our charity uh, for December. Oh, yeah. Uh, For the December Patreon donation, we ended up giving uh, the Cult of the Curious Giving Tree our money. Uh Uh-huh. The Cult of the Curious, if if we haven't described it here before, is the private Facebook group for the Time Suck podcast. Many creeps and peepers also listen to that podcast, also in that group. And we donated a little over $10,000 of this month's overall Patreon contribution, which is the whole thing, right. uh, from both Scared to Death and Time Suck to, to buy presents for listeners in need. Right. Then the fans st- right away started giving uh, money as well. They sure did. The Cult of the Curious donated almost exactly $15,000. It's crazy. We said we'd match. So now, <laughs> so now Lindsay and I uh, give another $15,000 to raise the total to a little over $40,000. Yes. So we're sending presents, uh, lots of presents, Lindsay's doing the shopping, to 80 different Cult of the Curious households. Yeah,
3: it's so incredible.
2: And, yeah, so incredible. And mm-hmm. sorry we didn't advertise it here, but right after we announced it on TimeSuck, the response was quick and overwhelming. It was uh,
3: it was crazy. It was, it was amazing. Because I manage it. Uh, mm-hmm. This is something that uh, I think we talked a little bit maybe last week or a few weeks ago about yeah. like why we're doing a given tree, Giving mm-hmm, Tree. Mm-hmm. We yep, touched on it. Yep. You know, it's like my childhood, like, I just can't handle not doing this. Yeah. Uh, but in 24 to 36 hours yeah. of announcing it on time, suck. before we even had a chance to talk about i on Scared to Death, Right, I had over 100 emails.
2: Yeah, so we already had more families than we thought we'd be able to help, and that's why we, yeah. we, did, we didn't want to set up more people for disappointment.
3: Exactly, because the worst part yeah. was me emailing half of those people saying I'm so sorry, because we just right. picked it random. Like, yep. we cannot be the arbiters of who gets it and who doesn't, and who's worthy and who's not. We just had to Literally put names in a hat and just hope that, like, the universe led us in the right direction.
2: And and that was the second year this year, the second Mm -hmm. year we've done it. And so next year, we will be sure to spread the word here on Scared to Death for the now annual Bad Magic Giving Tree. We'll
3: come up with some sort of system of, Mm -hmm. like, X amount of people will come from this pod, X amount from that pod. And so, yeah, so... If you feel slighted in any way, we're really sorry. But, like, I think that we all get it. Yeah. That it's been a hard year, and we're all just doing the best that we can. Yeah. And you should all be really proud of yourselves that you helped mm-hmm. contribute to these 80 families. Yeah. And their stories are... My husband died of COVID. My wife was already sick with some other disease and, you know, couldn't leave the house and had to give up her job. And, I mean, just story after story of we've been evicted Mm -hmm. or, you know, we were a family that was like on the rise, but then COVID fucking destroyed us. Or, I don't know, there's a a guy in the Cult of the Curious, his daughter was, I want to say, born with her organs on the outside of her body. Something really tragic. And they're like, they have another little one. It's, It's just like... It was just so gut wrenching. Yeah, all of it.
2: So thank you, Roberts and Animals, for taking a lot of the fear out of the holidays for a lot of people. Yeah, and let's move into horror stories now.
3: Yeah, uh, how <laughs> many less sad stuff?
2: How many stories do you have today? You have two, right? I have
3: two. Uh, one story of a possibly possessed haunted item. Okay. And a story about maybe a haunted house. Maybe.
2: Okay. Okay. Very cool. I have uh, two. Haunted place uh, stories, but there are, I think, some unusual takes on them. Okay. Um, heading to two of our dream destinations today. Hi! First takes place in Wellington, New Zealand. Oh, my God. I want to go so bad. Me too. Uh, we're famed film director, uh, or a famed film director, and many others have had similar paranormal encounters in or around the notoriously haunted St. James Theater. Cool. Then we're going to head to New Orleans. Huh. Uh We're fans of the Time Suck podcast. We'll get a different look at the dark legend of Madame Delphine LaLaurie. Oh, cool. And the supposedly haunted house of horrors at 1140 Royal Street. Ooh, I know exactly where that mm-hmm. is. We saw that at the ghost tour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to head off to Wellington with me now?
3: Um, let me get my passport.
2: Okay, okay. And then plenty of time to settle in. My,
3: my passport is my blanket.
2: <laughs> get your blanket, passport. And then uh, we have some scary setup while okay. you settle in. get your reindeer little, socks.
3: Look at our little reindeer. Meep, 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 meep. <laughs> in
2: 2009, heralded New Zealand filmmaker Peter Jackson... Most known for helming the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit trilogies, told an interviewer for Britain's Channel 4 TV in London while doing press for the premiere of another film, The Lovely Bones, Mm. that two decades earlier, he'd seen a ghost. In 1989, Peter was living in Wellington, New Zealand, the city where he was born and raised. uh, The city where he was born on Halloween, actually.
3: Oh, my gosh. I didn't know either
2: of those things about him. Mm -hmm. And he was leasing an apartment with his wife, Fran, in Wellington's Courtney Place, opposite the St. James Theater. And Jackson said, I woke up one morning and there was a figure in the room. (laughs) She was very scary. She had a screaming face, very accusatory. She was a lady of about 50 years old. Then he added, it was terrifying, actually. A very scary image. And she was at the end of the bed and she glided across the room and disappeared into the wall.
0: Yikes.
2: I sat in bed and thought, have I really seen that? Then Fran came in. I told her about it. And the first thing she said was, Was it the woman with the screaming face? Shut up. Fran said she had seen the same woman in the same room roughly two years before. Jackson went on to tell the interviewer that when the St. James Theater was being restored a few years prior to his sighting, uh, people around Wellington were talking about the legend of the woman who would committed suicide after being booed off the stage after a bad show back in the theater's vaudeville days. Wow. Came the legend of the wailing woman. And he said they say she manifests herself in the theater with a screaming face. Sometimes she's heard, sometimes she's seen this same ghost. Jackson and his wife Fran, far from the only people to encounter apparitions in or around this beautiful theater. A little bit about it. The St. James opened in Wellington on Boxing Day 1912. Uh, Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, is a national holiday in New Zealand, a holiday in a lot of countries actually. Based on an old tradition of employers giving employees annual bonuses, or many years ago, uh, leftover food, old clothing, oh. tools, uh, seeds for farmers, etc., and this gift was generally presented in a box.
3: My God, I got—I knew exactly where that was going. Yeah, hence That's Boxing so cool.
2: Day. Yeah, yeah, I, and it has nothing to do with today's uh, terror of Boxing. I just thought that was really cool trivia because I've heard yeah. of that and didn't know what it was. Uh, anyway, on Boxing Day, 1912. The St. James Theater opened on land that had been previously used as a church and a volunteer hall before famous entertainer John Fuller bought the lot in 1899. Fuller, an entertainer and talent booker and venue owner, would build over 60 other theaters in New Zealand. He uh, revamped the small hall in 1903, named it His Majesty's Theater… And the hall was then host to all kinds of different shows, uh, such as musical comedies, a play based on Cleopatra that involved the first and last import of snakes into New Zealand. Fair. And <laughs> hosted almost exclusively working class shows while the opera house down the street that Fuller also owned uh, aimed at you know members of Wellington's upper crust. Fuller used the old hall until November of 1911 when it was eventually declared a fire hazard and demolished. After the demolition, Fuller vowed the new theater he was going to build would be the best in all of New Zealand – He enlisted the help of architect Henry Eli White, who had had already designed uh, other theaters around the country for Fuller. White, fresh from building theaters in Timaru and Auckland, uh, set out the plans for the St. James. And the St. James became the first entirely steel frame and reinforced concrete theater, not just in New Zealand, but in the entire world, over its beautiful theater. Over 650 people could escape the auditorium safely in the event of a fire. Pillars in the auditorium were kept at a minimum to allow perfect viewing. Seating was arranged in the arc of a circle to view the stage. It was very modern for the time. The St. James was adorned with ornate marble pieces, carved face masks, cherubs placed upon the ceiling and walls along with colored glass. The theater's plaster work was custom-made by a local sculptor and builder, William Leslie Morrison. Morrison used his own grandson as a model for the plaster cherubs you can still see today in the theater. And model the full figures uh, seen near the stage after the Roman gods of Bacchus, uh, the god of fertility, wine, and the arts, and also after excuse me, the Greek god of Apollo, patron deity of youth, beauty, music, and more. Uh, the wooden floors of the St. James, made of local wood, red pine, and jarra, along with totara for window frames, deal for doors. Construction began in the theater in March of 1912, last right up until just before Boxing Day. During the theater's first few months of being open, uh, used primarily to play silent movies, then soon adapted for live performances. In 1930, converted back into primarily a movie theater with occasional live performances. And over the next few decades, more live performances woven in, everything from Shakespeare to minstrel acts such as jugglers, slapstick comedies, etc., to ballet, had a very long successful run before falling into decline in the 70s, closing, reopening as a discount theater, closing again, and then passing through numerous owners. And a few years before Peter Jackson's sighting, it was slated for demolition. Luckily, uh, when the government would not step in to save it with funds, local arts patrons raised over $25 million Whoa. to restore this theater, and it was reborn into its current inca- in, uh, incarnation. Over the long history of this theater, a number of paranormal happenings have been reported. Uh, the only ghost perhaps more uh, often seen than The Wailing Woman is the ghost of Yuri, a Russian performer who supposedly fell to his death from the rigging system high above the stage. His fall may not have been an accident. Mm. Some think another Russian performer, a dancer named Pasha, pushed him to his death. Why would she do that? Possibly because Yuri was infatuated with one of the other dancers who avoided his advances in favor of a theater electrician. Maybe Pasha was enraged with jealousy. Maybe not. Those details don't seem to be part of the legend. Others think Yuri committed suicide out of despair after being rejected by the object of his desire whatever the exact circumstances of his death since he died, many who've worked at the theater think that Yuri's ghost likes to play with the lights, sometimes switching them all back on once the theater has been locked up for the night. And this particular ghost, uh, not thought to be malevolent, uh, quite the opposite, in fact. One St. James projectionist claims that Yuri's ghost saved his life two different times. One evening after the audience had gone home for the night while out on stage, the lights went out in the auditorium, And this projectionist found himself standing in a completely darkened room. While searching for the light switch, he was pushed backwards by an unseen force. He's convinced that this force was the ghost of Yuri. When the lights turned back on on their own, the projectionist realized he'd only been a few inches from slipping and falling into the orchestra pit. Wow. Had he not been pushed back, he could have easily died due to the distance. Did Yuri realize he'd taken a prank too far, maybe almost killed someone, then saved them? Uh, is that why this you know spirit saved the projectionist or did a different spirit turn off the lights? Did Yuri intervene to save someone else from ending up uh, with their spirit trapped in the same theater? So many possibilities. The second time this projectionist felt his life was saved, he was on stage with his infant son. Suddenly uh, heard a beam start to fall above him, start to mm-hmm. collapse. The projectionist insist he was then pushed back by Yuri, that his son was carried through the air about three meters, roughly ten feet And that part of the beam then smashed down onto the floor where he had just been standing with his child. Wow. Did the ghost of a man who died decades before on that stage really just save someone else's life, two other lives on that stage? Again, uh, another spirit thought to roam within the walls of the old theater is the spirit of a former employee, Stan Andrews, a man often heard wheezing as he lurks around backstage corridors during performances – Neither benevolent or malicious, the spirit just seems to be there. It seems like to hang around the St. James for reasons unknown. Another unknown, and unnamed specter, the ghost of a tall, thin man around the age of 30, has been claimed to have been encountered numerous times. The most unusual paranormal story associated with the St. James, and the most highly unlikely probably, is a story of an entire boy's choir said to haunt the theater. The legend regarding why they haunt this particular theater is that the choir played their last song at the St. James during the Second World War, right before heading off on a tour by boat to meet their untimely deaths. The boat disappeared soon after leaving Wellington, according to the legend, thought to have been sunk by enemy combatants. And in the years since, some staff claim to have heard the dead choir's ghostly music emanating from up in the stands. Weird. And then, of course, there's the Wailing Woman, the most infamous of St. James's spirits and the most malevolent. The one apparently able to walk outside the walls of the theater into nearby buildings. No thanks. The story of the Wailing Woman, as I mentioned earlier, is that she's the ghost of an actress uh, seen, sometimes heard wailing, who was allegedly trying to make a comeback when she was booed off stage many years ago. Following that disastrous performance, she supposedly committed suicide by slitting her wrists. There are different accounts as to where this suicide may have happened. Some claim she took her own life at home. Others say she stayed in the theater and bled out in her dressing room. Ugh. Now her ghost is said to be the cause of many odd occurrences surrounding lead actresses and plays performed at the St. James. Several actresses performing on stage of spraying their ankles. One fell from a ladder and hurt herself. Uh, Many others have caught sudden colds and throat infections, found themselves suddenly unable to sing. All normal accidents and illnesses, maybe. Or the wailing woman sabotaging their performances. Maybe hoping to hear them booed off the stage as she once was. Time now for the tale of the attack of the wailing woman in the late nineties during a short run production of a play in between the rock concerts and theater often hosted at the time a stagehand claims the wailing woman left her afraid for her life the first time rachel not her real name saw the wailing woman she was cleaning up one of the dressing rooms after a rehearsal prior to her production's premiere she was going through a costume rack making sure that everything was in order That all of the needed clothing was clean and crisp for the next night's opening when she heard a woman wailing from somewhere by the stage. At first she assumed it was either one of the performers goofing around on their way out, one of the other stagehands. They'd all heard rumors of the wailing woman. Maybe someone trying to scare her trying to scare someone else. She laughed it off, muttered under her breath, idiot. Before turning around and screaming, the wailing woman was now standing directly in front of her the specter's agonized face no more than a foot from her own moving rapidly closer Rachel backed up too quickly fell down onto the floor as she dropped to the ground she kept her eyes locked on the ghost before her a spirit mad with anguish a woman with crazed eyes a mouth open impossibly wide waves of pain radiated off of her as she continued to wail as she crept towards Rachel Rachel still screaming watched helplessly as the wailing woman lurched over her then bent down as though she might attack possibly closing her terrifying mouth down upon her neck as the wailing woman's face descended towards her own rachel threw her hands over her face closed her eyes tight continued to scream in terror after what felt like an eternity of screaming she heard someone else calling her name rachel rachel what's going on yelled wayne another stagehand rachel opened her eyes to find only wayne now standing above her a wave of relief rushed over her what happened are you okay he asked as the stage director trevor ran into the room Rachel scrambled up onto her feet, then burst into tears while Wayne and Trevor looked on, not knowing what to do. Finally, she said, This is going to sound crazy, but the wailing woman, she, she was here. She's re- real. She was in the room with me. She looked at me like she wanted to kill me. I, I fell down trying to run out, and oh my God, she was right here on top of me. Oh my God, I just. She trailed off. Trevor and Wayne both had heard the same rumors. Neither really knew what to say other than, uh, Well, you're okay now. Uh, that sounds awful. Oh my God. They tried to convince her that maybe she was just exhausted, that everyone sees and hears things when they're really tired. Maybe she'd been thinking too much about all the ghost rumors at the end of a very, very long week. Rachel agreed to end the conversation. She was, after crying, embarrassed, and she just wanted to go home. She was also terrified. If she wanted to keep working on this production, which she did, she needed to be back in the St. James Theater early the next day. And that meant risking another encounter with the Wailing Woman or whatever the hell had just terrorized her. She apologized to Trevor and Wayne for causing a scene. They assured her it was no big deal. She quickly wrapped up what she was doing while they were still in the room and quickly left for a night of fitful, uneven sleep. The next day, things started off much better. The production's premiere went off with no major mistakes. Everyone was in a celebratory mood after the show. The performance was nearly sold out. There were no more scares until the very end of the night when Rachel was alone again. In the dressing room once more, She heard the wailing woman howl all over again. This time, she knew immediately it was not one of the actors or other stagehands. She quickly closed her eyes. If you can't see it, it's not real. And she started to feel and fumble her way out of the dressing room. Goosebumps covered her body as she moved towards the door. The wailing woman was near. She could feel her. She was inside the room with her. It felt as though a slow, cold wind had suddenly filled the dressing room around her, and that wind, when it retreated, left behind a weight, a chilling, unnatural weight. And the wailing, the screaming now sounded like it was originating inside of her head. Rachel kept her eyes shut. She didn't open them until she was outside of the room and a little ways down the hall. The cold presence no longer felt near. The scream went silent. Rachel cautiously opened her eyes. Shaking a bit with fear, she crept back towards the dressing room door. Her wallet and keys were still inside. And then she ever so slowly peeked around the corner. And then she was grabbed from behind. She screamed, spun around. It was Trevor. Oh, God. Jesus, Rachel, she yelled, startled. You just scared the shit out of me. Sorry, Trev, she said. I I just thought I heard something again. Are you okay? He asked, concerned. Everything's as good as gold, she replied before adding, I'm going to take off. I'll come in early tomorrow to prep. Sure, Rach, no problem, said Trevor, clearly worried about her. Rachel grabbed her things quickly and bolted. The wailing woman wasn't near anymore. And again, she just wanted to go home. As she left, she worried about Trevor telling the rest of the crew. She'd just given them all one more reason to talk about her being mad as a meat axe She'd already caught plenty of stares today. Of course, they were going to be gossiping about her. She would, too, if she she were somewhere else or someone else. The following morning, there were again no incidents. And the show that evening again went well. Another packed house, this time completely sold out. And she once more made it to the very end of the night without being bothered. Shortly before heading home, she thought for a moment that maybe it was all over. Although she was terrified to finish up in the dressing room alone, she did it. She waited the entire time to hear that wail to see that agonized face, but it never came. She was proud of herself for getting through it. She'd been brave. She wrapped up, and then as she was walking up some stairs on her way out, she heard the familiar wail behind her. She dared to look back and saw nothing. She then quickly began to race up the stairs. When she turned to look forward again so she wouldn't trip, there she was, her awful face, the wailing woman, only inches away above her on the stairs, her eyes again accusatory, her anguish unrelenting. Rachel let out a startled cry and then stumbled and slipped backwards. She grabbed the rail as she fell back, which slowed but did not stop her fall. She tumbled back down the stairs, hit her head on the hard floor. The impact momentarily knocked her unconscious. Had she not caught the rail, she sure she would have broken her neck or bashed in her skull. She lay dazed on the floor for a moment and then it felt like something or someone was helping her up. In a fog, she walked back up the stairs, assisted by an unseen hand. Whatever was helping her proceeded to help her right on out of the building into a taxi that took her to Wellington Hospital a little over a mile away. What? She walked into the ER, was treated for a concussion. She'd have to miss work. She'd have to miss a lot of work now, because after that incident, there was no chance she was ever going to return to that theater. Years later, she still truly believes the wailing woman tried to do more than scare her that night. She thinks she tried to kill her. She also also thinks she probably would have died if not for another spirit, maybe the ghost of Yuri, helping her out of the St. James.
1: It's
2: just like a little interesting backstage tale. Yeah. Check out these pictures. Uh, This first one is a recent one of the St. James theater lovely yeah. little theater in downtown wellington and
3: how uh recent is this photo well, it must uh, be pretty recent because i see a, a guinness sign in the lower <laughs> left-hand corner
2: <laughs> right yeah just i think in the last few years okay. and then that uh, transit bus there and then this um this next one is the saint James saint James theater maybe in the 1940s uh
3: so still i mean really similar
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then cool. and then inside of it just the detail this is a i think the bacchus bust wow uh, yeah, it's very cool that's still there in this next bus maybe Apollo uh, not totally sure it didn't say but just a really cool looking bust of another face mm-hmm. and then and then this last one is like a a, a a picture of just the entirety of the inside of the theater and it's just a really wow. beautiful theater
3: that is beautiful and I can see how it was so modern for the time Oh yeah yeah such a different take on it
2: hmm hmm really cool very cool yeah I I, uh, I like that story. I like the uh, the Peter Jackson detail
3: hmm I know. Why does it give it more credibility? Mm-hmm. Oh.
2: I mean, yeah, because I, I mean, as far as I know, that's his only reporting of like a paranormal sighting. It's not like, uh, I don't, it doesn't seem, looking into it a little further, that he's like some big ghost hunter or sure, anything. Sure, sure. And just that detail that, that he told the interviewer about his wife, seen before.
3: That's what got me, is that it doesn't sound like she told him about her previous mm-hmm. encounter. She probably thought like, oh, it's my imagination, whatever. Right. Or maybe he's a huge skeptic and she just didn't want to have the whole conversation right. of like, I saw this. No, you didn't, blah, blah, blah. Yeah
2: and that was prompted that the whole like why he talked about that to the the british interviewer yeah. was because based on them lovely bones they asked like do you believe in a soul i haven't seen that movie
3: oh it's such a good movie
2: but they 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 asked him yeah i think i remember you saying that
3: i loved that movie i mean it's creepy and it's sad
2: yeah yeah they asked because it's apparently about this dead girl that Mm -hmm. interacts and they asked him like do you believe in the possibility of the soul basically like do you believe this thing could be you know uh true could happen yeah yeah and uh, his response was something along the lines of like i don't know about a soul but i do know i've seen a ghost like he was very adamant Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that he had uh seen something unexplainable
3: i think we should move to new zealand Mm -hmm. like right away And we should do live Scared to Deaths in the St. James. That's it. No, yeah, no problem. No problem.
2: No big wolves. No, no big wolves. <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome.
3: <laughs> it's easy peasy. We've got at least one fan over there. And they can. <laughs> I've, I've, we've, we've emailed. Okay, so, okay. We you have,
2: know. you know, there'll at least hopefully be one, person, there'll that, be one a, person. It's a fairly big country. Hopefully they live in the Wellington area.
3: Yeah, that's, uh, I'm sure they do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, we, uh, we do have listeners in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, I would love to get over there.
3: Let's do it.
2: And uh, and this next place is, I mean, a, a place we're equally excited about. Maybe more currently. Do you
3: guys know that we're obsessed with Very New, New, New Orleans? Orleans? Like so obsessed. For my birthday, one of my best girlfriends ordered me uh, chicory coffee mm-hmm. and beignet mix from Cafe Du Monde.
2: And I'm nice. So excited. <laughs> uh, are you ready to travel back across the world, leave New Zealand for New Orleans? Okay. Well, both places are probably warm. So sure. <laughs> digging into another infamously haunted location after a quick sponsor break. For over
0: 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's gonna be great.
2: Thanks for listening to our sponsors, Creeps and Peepers. Uh, similar structure now to our first story with this next one. A lot of spooky history to go over. Uh, more disturbing this time. Before jumping into another, you know, more recent alleged encounter tale. Okay. Uh, at eleven forty, Royal Street in New Orleans' charming and historic French Quarter stands the infamous LaLaurie Mansion, a popular stop for ghost tours. We've stopped there on a ghost tour. Correct. Uh, Generally thought of to be one of the most haunted buildings in a city full of allegedly haunted buildings. It did
3: feel very creepy over there.
2: It it did. This building in particular felt extremely creepy. Oh God! Uh, Its name comes from Madame Delphine Lalaurie, the infamous Madame Delphine, born Marie Delphine McCarty in 1787 in Spanish Louisiana to a prominent Creole family. Her uncle was the governor of the Spanish American provinces of both Louisiana and Florida. Her cousin would be the mayor of New Orleans by the time she turned 18, and the reportedly gentle and sweet daughter of a well-to-do family grew up to be, allegedly, one of the most barbaric women New Orleans has ever seen. The cruel mistress of a haunted house who tortured and killed her slaves, a monster who callously left them locked up to literally burn alive when her home became engulfed in flames. Madame Delphine was married for the first time to a high-ranking Spanish royal officer, López e Ángula. At just 14 years old, her her husband – yeah, common at the time.
3: I know. Still weird.
2: Still weird. Her husband died of illness in Havana, Cuba Cuba, en route to Madrid, Spain soon after their marriage while she was pregnant, leaving her a widow with a child in an age when she would just be a freshman in high school today.
3: Oh, my God. Still just
2: a child herself. At the age of 20, she married again to Jean-Paul Blanc, a well-to-do Frenchman who was a banker, lawyer, and slave trader, a man who associated with notorious local pirate Jean Lafitte. Delphine had three daughters and a son with Blanc, and the couple owned, in addition to other properties, a plantation on the banks of the Mississippi with 26 slaves. Jean-Paul then died in either 1815 or 1816, leaving Madame Delphine a young widow again. Now in her late 20s, while she had four children to care for, she was also wealthy and had the means to hire help to do so. Inheritances and money, property from both her marriages had left her very well off. She became a well-known socialite, known for hosting lavish parties… And sometime between 1825 and 1828, she married her third and final husband, a doctor named Leonard Nicholas LaLaurie, listed in numerous sources as being quite a bit younger than her. No exact age difference is ever given that I can find. And during this third marriage, Delphine's disposition seemed to turn dramatically darker. In 1831, Madame Delphine bought the now infamous property at 1140 Royal Street for the couple to live with her two daughters from her previous marriage and a new baby with Dr. LaLaurie. In 1832, the now infamous two-story mansion was built, complete with attached slave quarters, and while Delphine and her husband maintained central positions in New Orleans' high society for the next several years, throwing parties at this address, rumors now began to spread that the relationship was crumbling and that their home was becoming a house of horrors. Just a year after moving in, Madame Delphine petitioned the court for separation, claiming Leonard had beaten her. A neighbor, Jean Beauz, wrote to a friend in France, They do not have a happy household. They fight, often separate, and then return to each other, which would make one believe that someday they will abandon each other completely. And Dr. LaLaurie may not have been the only abusive member of their marriage. Rumors circulated regarding the abuse that Madame Delphine inflicted upon her slaves and upon her daughters. Jean Bose wrote another letter back in the 1830s describing her barbarous treatment of her slaves and that she had them incarcerated, letting them be given only the bare necessities. He also wrote that her case had come before the criminal court, but that she'd been absolved. Other sources cite that complaints from her relatives and neighbors caused her to be investigated at least three times for slave mistreatment, highly unusual for a wealthy slave owner living in a southern city at the time. An author who later wrote about Madame Delphine soon after her disappearance from New Orleans stated that it had long been observed that Madame LaLaurie's slaves looked singularly haggard and wretched, and that she would beat her own daughter savagely for giving the slaves even scraps of food. And then there was the fire. On the morning of April 10th, 1834, a fire broke out at the LaLaurie house on Royal Street. It was reported to be, have been started by a slave in the kitchen trying to escape, and then the ki- that kitchen was directly below the slave quarters. Since neighbors were aware of slaves chained there, they expressed their concern to Judge Kananj, um, uh, who was present on the scene, lived across the street, Chronicled chronicled in his deposition, the story goes that the judge politely asked Dr. LaLaurie to have the slaves removed to a safer place. Then he was rudely told to mind his own business. How odd, how unbelievably cruel and callous, Uh, he was told by Dr. LaLaurie. Uh, The judge then gave orders to break down the doors of the slave quarters, and that's when numerous chained, starved, beaten slaves were discovered. The condition of these slaves has been embellished and exaggerated through storytelling over the years, but… It's important to note that newspaper accounts following the incident do contain eyewitness accounts from the day they were saved uh, of their exact condition. And these accounts are sickening. The Courier described it as an, uh, an appalling sight, their bodies covered with scars, loaded with chains. The Bee reported that the rescuers found seven slaves more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck with their limbs stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. Oh, God. The courier even described a man with a hole in his head that was filled with worms. Later, other more sensationalist sensationalist accounts described heaps of corpses, organs and limbs, slaves pinned to tables or cramped in small cages, live bodies with their eyes gouged, fingernails torn out, ears hanging by shreds of skin, Uh. their mouths filled with animal shit and sewn shut, people flayed of skin, festering wounds. Other accounts claim investigators found one woman whose skin had been peeled off in spirals. Oh my God! To make her look like a caterpillar, another with her bones broken and reset that she looked like a crab. Oh my God! One more whose intestines had been torn out and knotted around the waist. Many of these claims, uh, some claim that there were up to a hundred. Uh, many of these victims, excuse me, some claim there were up to a hundred, were supposedly still alive, putrid, starving. All these horrific accounts, along with the duration of Madame's alleged abuse, helped to explain why neighbors and citizens were upset enough to ransack her house and destroy everything they could during the fire and after it. Delphine herself, along with her husband, seemingly skipped town, snuck out with the help of her coachman before the mob arrived, fled to first Mobile, then to New York and Paris. A sighting by the poet William Cullen Bryant puts Madame Delphine on a ship named the Poland, sailing from New York to Le Havre in June of 1834. Not quite how you pronounce that French port city, but my mouth doesn't want to skip the silent H and slur the A like you're supposed to. Uh, no word on whether or not Delphine's husband was on, with her on her trip across the Atlantic. It appears that neither would be seen in New Orleans ever again. After the 1834 fire and mobbing, the LaLaurie House remained vacant until 1837 when it was purchased and rebuilt by a man named Charles Caffin. He repaired it into the home you can see today. Since 1837, the house has passed to several owners and has housed a whole panoply of things. It was the union headquarters for New Orleans during the Civil War, uh, an early integrated school for young women, a home for delinquents, a tenement, a music conservatory, saloon, furniture store, the private residence of several owners, most notably actor Nicholas Cage. Uh, Cage owned the home from 2007 until 2009, reportedly never slept there, and then it was sold at a bank auction for $2.3 million.
3: I love that that's the, the
2: auction price. <laughs> the house currently a private residence owned by Texas energy trader Michael Whalen and not open to the public.
0: Ugh, does he really live there?
2: Uh, I don't think he's – I don't know. And of course, all of its early tragedy has led to over a century's worth of stories of hauntings. Some say wails of agony plague many of its rooms at night, especially the old slave quarters. Doors slam, furniture moves. Apparitions of slaves are seen walking about the the property. Some even appear in chains. The sound of dragging chains reportedly heard coming from the attic at all hours of the night. In the mid-19th century, when the LaLaurie Mansion functioned as an all-girls school, students claimed to often experience bizarre and random encounters, including violent physical assaults. And then there is this next encounter. Time now for the tale of Choked and Afraid. Nia was enjoying the second day of her first trip to New Orleans, a trip she'd been looking forward to for a very long time. Nia was born and raised in Savannah, Georgia, kind of a sister city to New Orleans, and the streets of the French Quarter felt familiar, even though she'd never actually been there before. She felt quite at home in the Crescent City. Although Mardi Gras wouldn't officially begin for another three days, the atmosphere was already one of celebration. The Saints were in the Super Bowl, and the party had started early. Nia enjoyed a late breakfast at the court of two sisters with her husband Ken, and then they decided to explore the city. As they walked hand-in-hand hand down crowded sidewalks, they stopped occasionally to enjoy the sounds of musicians performing in the streets. With no particular destination in mind, just enjoying the day, they eventually found themselves on Royal Street. One of the oldest and loveliest streets in the whole country, Royal Street is lined with shops filled with gorgeous antiques and beautiful historic homes. And Lee and Ken hit a lot of these shops. And they also enjoyed some great food, better music, and strong drinks. Then shortly after the sun went down into the night, the two approach an intersection... And the day took a very strange turn the weight of the beads around Nia's neck suddenly seemed to increase dramatically it was a strangest sensation soon she she had to stop walking she began to feel ill confused at first her husband thought she had just had too much to drink maybe she was just a bit dehydrated then Nia began to panic her head was pounding the beads suddenly felt like heavy chains it felt like they were choking her Aware that she was beginning to make a spectacle of herself, make a scene, but not caring, she worried that she was dying. She felt hot, very hot. It felt like you do when you're standing next to a fire. She looked back at her husband, unable to speak, and then towards the windows of a house she later learned was the LaLaurie House, 1140 Royal Street. She could see flames inside the home. She could hear screams. She could see shadowy figures darting back and forth behind mostly closed curtains. Then the entire intense scene began to get blurry. She was having trouble breathing. Her vision was fading. She finally was able to grab the beads around her neck, the beads that felt like chains, and it took all her strength to pull them up and over her head and toss them to the ground. Her husband, Ken, now came back into focus. He was in the middle of calling 911 to get an ambulance. No, she said. I'm okay. Just just help me walk. Ken hung up and helped Nia to her feet. She felt better, but still far too hot. Back to the hotel, she said, her strength slowly returning. Ken's arm around her, she started to cross the street away from the LaLaurie mansion. With each step, she felt the air around her cool and return to normal. She felt a little more like herself. When they made it across the street, she told Ken, I'm fine. And then she looked back towards the old, once horrible home. She could no longer see flames inside the windows. The entire house was dark. It looked vacant. She scanned the windows and at first saw nothing. But then, right before turning to leave, her eyes landed on a dark shape in the upstairs window, the one closest to the corner. A woman, perhaps a mutilated woman, it was hard to tell in the low light, but she felt that something horrible had happened to her, had disfigured her, stood with what seemed to be a chain around her neck, and as Nia stared at her, she felt first afraid, and then sadness. Ken, trying to keep her moving, pulled on her hand, and she reluctantly turned and followed. When she looked back just a moment later, the woman was gone. Once back to the hotel that night, she told Ken everything. They got on their phones, determined that the building was the LaLaurie Mansion, Then they read enough to learn about the fire and about the horrible history behind it. Nia and Ken stayed in town for Mardi Gras, but they avoided Royal Street the rest of their trip. While Nia still loved the city of New Orleans, it of course no longer felt quite as festive. Her mind kept drifting back to one of the darker chapters of its history as thousands drunkenly celebrated around her. She kept wondering, did the woman in the window just want her to feel her pain? And how long had that spirit been trapped inside that house? How many others were trapped with her? How often did they relive the darkest days they once spent there? Huh. Eek.
3: Has anybody ever tried to cleanse that house?
2: Um, probably. But I mean, I mean over the years, you would think. But I don't know because it's really private. Like I was talking about it, you know, be, right. before the show with Joe. But you know, with the tours, because it's been a private residence for so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you can. Go, I I think it's been a private residence for as long as there's been the ghost tours. So uh, okay, yeah. I don't think there was a period when the tours like went inside the house and really talked about right. that part of it. And the last few owners don't seem to have said much about what currently goes on there.
3: Yeah, it's weird that they don't seem interested in. Uh, excuse me, I, I was gonna say it seems interesting or odd that they don't want to share what goes on in the house. But then also, like, do you just want more and more people coming to your house because it's right. the ghost tours already go past it. Everyone knows mm-hmm. where it is. It's a you know a very famous location. So if yeah. you were the current energy owner guy. Yeah. You don't really probably want to share like oh this happened and then that happened because then it's just going to cause more yeah. attraction to your
2: I mean if you're a wealthy person and right. you just love to be in the French Quarter and it's a beautiful house. But
3: I would not fucking sleep there.
2: No, but if you're but if you're someone who just doesn't believe there are plenty of people who have no belief at all in the paranormal it does nothing for them and if you're one of those people and uh, yeah, it just doesn't I guess, bother you. I guess. You're not going to have any interest in like a, Letting curiosity seekers come around your house what? any more than they have to.
3: It's good that I don't want to live there. You know what I mean.
2: <laughs> uh, let's go. Let's go to some pictures. This In my fir-
3: imaginary world where we can afford that.
2: This first picture is of Madame Delphine. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then so uh, a painting.
3: I mean, I hate her, but sure, thanks.
2: Mm-hmm. And then this next one is the residence at 1140 Royal Street.
3: I mean, it is so beautiful.
2: Hmm. Yeah, an it's interesting. It's like a, this big block, but mm-hmm. but pretty.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, I love the wrought iron. Second story,
2: mm-hmm, the balcony. Terrace, yeah. Terrace, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah,
3: I, for some reason, I remembered it being red. Or like uh, clay colored. How recent is this photograph?
2: This is pretty recent. This is the color I remembered it as. Oh,
3: okay.
2: There's other like red buildings around it. Well, you know,
3: um, I, I stare at <clears throat> New Orleans architecture and oh, yeah. like, overpriced listings on the regular so there's probably another building on a
2: corner in the french
3: (laughs) quarter that looks very similar uh
2: this next picture is a the another photo of the residence but this time at night i just thought it looked cool
3: oh maybe that does look familiar Mm -hmm. okay
2: and then a much older photo of the home uh from much earlier days with a little horse and buggy there
3: but still more or less exactly the same yeah
2: exactly which is so cool and then, and then this nat last photo is one of the scarier photos associated with the house and with an entity that may have uh, lived inside of it once. Mm-hmm. So that's uh that's Nick Cage. I love how you can find so many photos of Nick Cage looking absolutely batshit crazy on the web.
3: Well, he is batshit crazy, <clears throat> isn't he? Didn't he? He's a mad genius. Is that what he said? That's what I said. Oh, why do you think he's a mad genius?
2: Well, he's a little crazy sometimes, but then also like he can be brilliant. I think in some movies.
3: Hmm. Name one.
2: <laughs> he uh, leaving Las Vegas. There's one. He was fantastic in that movie. I never saw it. Raising Arizona. Never saw it. Um, uh, oh, my God. Face uh, Off? Sure, I saw it. <laughs> face, <laughs> off a, face Off was a good budget one. And then Mandy. And then Mandy, uh never recent kind it. of cult class. Yeah, he, he does a good job in a lot of Apparently,
3: movies. I'm not a Nick Cage fan. Yeah, I think yeah.
2: his I think his uh, the public persona that at least the tabloids kind of project out there yeah. have turned a lot of people off.
3: I mean, I don't— I, I don't feel one way or the other about him. I don't actually really Con know Air, anything about him. Oh, Con Air, <laughs> Steve <laughs> and, Buscemi, and,
2: and Nick Cage. Nick Cage is fantastic. I know, but in also, Con
3: Air. I love Steve Buscemi. Like and, I really love Steve Buscemi. Fun fact: mm-hmm. I worked with Steve Buscemi on one of the last films I worked on in LA mm-hmm. before I moved into TV. Yeah, and he eats with the crew on oh, every yeah, movie. You were saying He's that. like so so chill, chill, and doesn't like uh, a lot of time on sets. Uh, and you know it's their right yeah these big actors have like their private chefs come or they mm-hmm. have like special meals ordered for them not steve he's wow. like fuck it i'm gonna eat whatever slop they're giving you guys which i call i'm joking about the slop because catering he is on really good yeah. movie sets is fucking phenomenal but like it was just cool and he That's would awesome. you know he would just be in line he didn't cut the line he didn't anything i, just, I have a lot of respect for him and i think he's Fucking fantastic. Boardwalk Empire.
2: Boardwalk Empire. Fantastic. One of the
3: best ever. Mm-hmm. Um, also, when you were...
2: Fargo. Uh,
3: Fargo. Yes.
2: Did you guys know that he was a firefighter in New York? He was. He helped yes. And then went back. Yeah. 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 And no so one cool. knows. Yeah. Like, he just had never brought it up. Fucking love, <laughs> love him. I love yeah. that about him, right?
3: I love any time someone does... with Someone with that kind of weight and mm-hmm. magnitude and money does something really great and doesn't broadcast it. It's like Keanu Reeves. Yeah, super cool dude. Super cool dude. I just read a little thing about him. Like, his wife died, his brother died. Like, he's had a... Yeah, it was either either his
2: girlfriend, fiance, or wife. And it was many years ago. But he's
3: had... And then I think a brother or a sibling was really sick. Like, he's just had a fair amount of sadness in his Mm -hmm. life. And he goes out of his way to just be a decent person Mm -hmm. and do good things with the money that he has. And yeah. But okay, so when you were first starting to talk about Madame Delphine, I was thinking about American Horror Story.
2: Oh yeah, Kathy Bates. Uh, She yeah, Kathy Kathy Bates did a great job playing her. That was a really good season. That was a
3: really good season. We haven't. I gave up when they did the Hotel in L.A. Mm, I I watched another
2: one after that. You did? Did it get better? I don't. uh, I thought it did. Yeah, I watched the one I think was called
0: Cult. Okay. Hmm? It was good.
3: The Coven. Got a little too, like, okay, I get it, Ryan Murphy. You love Fleetwood Mac. You love it. You love to add, like, a musical number. Stevie got, Nicks.
2: He's a big Stevie Nicks fan.
3: Yeah, it just got too sing-songy. Yeah. Like,
2: it, it spirals out a little bit. It's, yeah. gets a little weird, but it, but it, at its best, it's an amazing show.
3: Yes. Season two, I think, was my absolute most terrifying, hardest season to watch. So good. I think who was in that? Connie Britton, maybe? Who's a good one.
2: She's been in a couple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's a great actress. She's in season one for sure. Yeah. I don't
3: think she gets enough uh, accolades. <laughs> I don't. I think yeah. she's a really underrated actress.
2: I just I love that we've turned this into from Nick Cage into like a pop culture. <laughs> do you think
3: do you think well, fast forward. Hit your hit your 15 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> your little 15 seconds. Did 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 Okay.
0: But I, I agree. I yeah, to close. Yeah. Yes. Well,
3: it just there was a lot there was a lot to discuss. A lot, a lot of
2: good people to, to give thanks to.
3: Yes. Starting with Nick Cage. <laughs> okay. Uh so this first story uh, a little bit of a doozy, okay. I I think, anyways. Uh, I, it just kind of explores that idea of like, what could you possibly bring home from like a goodwill or mm-hmm. a garage sale? And I was just curious, like, have you ever brought something home from? Like, have you ever actually really shopped thrift shopping?
2: Oh yeah, when I was younger. When you were younger, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. And
3: like, did Tons you of stuff? Okay, uh, clothing or like clothing, with your parents' Clothing,
2: furniture for like you know like when I was in college and shortly okay. after like. Yeah, furniture items, clothing. I mean, definitely like lots of records, yeah. things like that. Uh, and things afterwards. I'm just blanking on what they are now. But yeah, yeah. many things over the years.
3: Okay. Did you ever like <clears throat> stop to think about it, like that it could have some sort of like bad past and bad energy attached to it? Did I never ever... thought about
2: like bad energy. I'm more yeah. just like worried about like cleanliness. You know, like when you're getting a couch and then you're like laying on it and taking a nap. Uh, you just have this moment of like, what has happened on this couch?
3: How many people have How had clean is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, okay. never,
2: but never worried about like, yeah, dark energy.
3: Yeah. I never really thought about it until I listened to that one episode of Two Girls, One Ghost. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole, I wish I could remember what episode number it was, but there's this whole story about like, they bring home an office chair. I've talked oh, about it here. Oh, you
2: talked, yes, yes, yes. It
3: has fucked me up ever since. Okay. Well, um, yeah, This this story takes us down a little path of like, what could come home with you. Okay. All right. Hello, STD fam. I just started listening to your podcast and now am 100% hooked and can't stop listening. I know, so nice. Once I listened to the episode Mirrors and Monsters, I knew I had to send in my own personal mirror experience. It's one of
2: my favorite stories we've gone over so far.
3: You're going to be so screwed on mirrors after this. (sighs) Okay. Okay. It should be noted that I am a creep and I love everything scary and paranormal, but also... I try to rationalize it so that if and when things do happen, I can sort it out and determine what's really happening and what might just be in my head. I've had feelings or dreams my entire life, and 99% of my feelings or dreams tend to be right, from predicting a friend's tragic and sudden passing to having dreams that if I did something a certain way, it would work out this way, and then it would. Now, My ex was very much into my feelings and took them seriously Whereas my now-husband blames it on one thing or another, but concedes that perhaps my feelings are pretty accurate. Now, time for the tale of the Princess Mirror. (laughs) After a horrible breakup and an even worse family fight, my now-husband and I decided to move in together, despite only having been together for three months. He had a daughter, and we'll call her Sarah for the sake of this story, from a previous relationship. I had spent years trying to have children with my ex with no success... I was very excited to start out our life, not only with my new partner, but also with Sarah as well. We were just starting out our new life and had very little income. We found the cheapest two-bedroom apartment we could, and we moved in. I was so excited to start decorating our apartment, especially Sarah's room. I mean, all I never wanted was kids, and now I got to skip over the tough baby stages and go right into the toddler years. Right before we moved in, my grandmother and I went to garage sales all over our town, looking for home decor and furniture to help make our apartment a home. One of the first things I bought was a princess mirror for Sarah. It was oval with pink painted with a pink-painted border and a crown and other princess themes painted onto it. It was perfect for the fairy tale theme I had chosen for her bedroom. Fast forward about a year of us living in the apartment. Sarah's mom was working more than before, and I started having Sarah almost full-time because of my work schedule not being as demanding as my now husband's. One day, after I picked her up from daycare, we got home, and per her usual routine, she ran into her room to play while I started dinner. Now, Sarah was not the play-by-herself type of kid, so I would normally be interrupted multiple times while trying to do just about anything, which was, of course, very frustrating. Mm -hmm. However, this day, I had hardly heard a peep from Sarah, so obviously I thought she was up to something. You know, writing on her walls or tearing paper apart or something (laughs) that kids would do. I slowly walked down the hallway to her door, which was cracked open just a tiny bit, and I could hear her talking. No, Mimi won't like that. No, I don't want to get in trouble. Oh, well, okay, I guess. And so on. I opened the door, expecting for her to be talking to her stuffed animals or Mm -hmm. her dolls. I asked her, Sarah, who are you talking to? And as I asked this, I realized that she was standing at the foot of her bed, staring into the princess mirror. She turned to me and said, I'm talking to my brother. I proceeded to tell her that she didn't have a brother and then she argues with me as children do. And this goes on for a while before I started to stop having an argument with a four-year-old and just let it go. I caught her multiple times talking to her brother in the mirror. She even started sleepwalking so badly that we had to put up a baby gate at the end of the hallway so she wouldn't leave the apartment in the middle of the night without us knowing. I could chalk up most things to her being an only child Mm -hmm. with no one to play with and a big imagination. Until about a month later when I found out I was pregnant. I was in total shock. I'd been trying to get pregnant for years with zero success, and I had given up hope and just focused all of my efforts and attention on Sarah. And then, bam, pregnant. It was even more of a shock when during the ultrasound we found out we were having a boy. It occurred to me that what it occurred to me that when Sarah kept arguing with me about having a brother, she was in fact right. She did. <laughs> we just didn't know it yet. After this, I couldn't ignore Sarah's strange behaviors anymore. I had to tell someone. I confided in my husband about what had been happening. And to my complete surprise, he just laughed at me. He said that she had a wild imagination and there was no way she knew I was pregnant, nonetheless, with a boy. Mm -hmm. And that it was just a pure coincidence. That was until he started witnessing her talking to her brother in the mirror. One night, we discovered what we thought were doodles in the armrest of Sarah's wooden rocking chair. My husband yelled at her and put her to bed while I went to inspect the damage. On the arms of the rocking chair, she had carved about four or five upside-down crosses with her fingernails. I about lost my shit. Like, seriously, what do you do when you think your stepdaughter might be possessed? But again, as much as her father thought it was strange, he played it off to her just doodling and that I was looking far too much into it. Fast forward to right after the birth of our son. Let's call him Noah. After Noah was born, I was very worried about having two kids at home by myself, and so Sarah's mom kept her for a week until I could recoup a little bit and adjust to having this tiny human in our house. Mm-hmm. During that time, the apartment was very quiet. Noah slept all the time, and honestly, I was bored. I was so ready for Sarah to come back and liven up our apartment a bit. The first night Sarah came back, nothing weird happened. She didn't She didn't talk to her brother in the mirror. She didn't sleepwalk. Nothing. It was like everything was normal. And since we only had a two-bedroom apartment at the time and Noah was just days old, we had him sleeping in a bassinet next to our bed so that when he woke in the middle of the night, he would mm-hmm. not also wake Sarah. There's nothing worse than having a newborn and a four-year-old up at the same time every few hours. When I woke one night, not crying, uh, not to crying or the movement of Noah, but because I was having one of my feelings, I knew something was wrong. I turned over to check on Noah, only to see a dark figure hunched over the bassinet. At first, I thought it was just a shadow coming in from the window, until I looked a little bit harder, and I made out that it was Sarah. Sarah was sitting on the edge of my bed, bent over at the waist, staring at Noah, just inches from his face. I calmly said, Sarah? And as soon as I said her name or her head jerked up, she straightened up, stared at me like she was staring into my damn soul. She jumped off the bed and ran out of our room, slamming the door behind her. It's at this point that I am losing my ever-loving shit. I start freaking out. I wake up my husband to tell him what I saw, explaining that I'm worried that Sarah was trying to hurt baby Noah. Oh my God. While I'm checking on Noah from head to toe, I send my husband to check on Sarah. When he came back to her, our room, he said, Malia? She is completely passed out. Are you sure it was Sarah? After that, I was done. I had no idea what I saw or what happened that night, but the next day, that damn mirror went straight into the dumpster. From then on, Sarah had no more experiences and stopped freaking me out. Weird. We, we moved out of that apartment shortly thereafter. Even though I still have my feelings and dreams occasionally, we have had no more issues with Sarah or her imaginary brother. Keep your crystals close and sage <laughs> everything, Malia.
2: I don't give me the chills there at the uh, at the end about the little girl being like fast asleep. I mean, what? I mean, obviously, we talk about so many like possibilities like what if what if what if? Sure. Well, that's the point of the show. Right, right. But like, what if these things from this other realm, Mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, their powers are limited, but they can influence you and how that's like, almost like worst case that they could influence you and warp your brain and make you like kill somebody. Right? Or right. you know like and how a do you temper prove that? <laughs> right you don't. And people have tried in courts
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh you know claimed you know well it's like the Amityville guy yes. um you know cl- claimed oh my god I'm blanking on his name now the guy that Richard Gallo it uh, well, doesn't matter. Um Bob Smith yes. <laughs> uh, this Richard guy you know claimed in court amongst other things but yeah. but to have been you know pushed towards killing his family and like th- If that were true, that would be absolutely the worst because no one would believe you. No, There's no way that would hold up in court, ever.
3: And then what do you get, like a temporary insanity plea and then you get locked away in a loony bin where you might, in fact, not actually be crazy as soon as you're removed from the situation where the spirit is attacking you. Right. Can you imagine, like, think like our house. Let's just say it's haunted. There's some malevolent spirit there. It takes over one of us. It fucks up our lives. It causes, we harm people, whatever. But then as soon as you're outside... Ugh. of that house? It's like ruined your it's life. you fine.
2: Can and what, you imagine? And in that situation, like, you know, the guilt oh outside of God. the punishment, like, what if something influenced you to kill a sibling, a baby? A baby. And even though you're only four, it's like, you do right. that. Do you ever really recover from that?
3: I don't think so because even though at four, you know, right from wrong, your right from wrong is like, you know, don't touch the stove, don't eat a cookie without right. permission. You just don't have that kind of worldly scope.
2: And, and when you're 30, you can look back and part of you can be like, well, I was just four but but also if, I don't know
3: with a fuckload of therapy
2: also yeah you're going to um you never get to take that back no matter what your no. age was that you intentionally possessed or not yeah you Know, went out of your way to well, and to then kill you wonder like,
3: do I have the propensity to kill someone?
2: Oh, right, for the rest of your life, the you're rest like of your life, once you... that door's been opened, it's like, well, what else can pop in here? What other object, oh. what other entity could take me over and make me do god knows what? Oh my god, yeah, that, and, would, that would fucking life. And was life. it really
3: that, or was it me? Is there a part of me that I don't yeah. understand? Like, four, four,
2: 18, 30, you're, you're done you're on some level at that point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, that was Ronald DeFeo, Ronald, DeFeo. thank DeFeo. you, yeah. Ronald DeFeo, that's right, the DeFeo family. Ronald? I thought
3: it was Richard. I'm, I've really lost my mind. <laughs> um, okay, so now we're going to go to a possibly haunted house. Okay, okay. I, I'm I'm going to let you decide. But I, my question for you, as I was writing this story out, I was like, oh, okay, or you know, getting it ready for the show. Would you rather? Yeah. Live in a house that is absolutely haunted. You know for sure that it's haunted, but it's not a malevolent spirit. Or, okay, so you're living with like a happy, nice ghost, right? Yeah. Or would you rather live in a house that is, that you cannot confirm is or is not haunted? And like, would you take the risk of it maybe being haunted with an evil spirit or just maybe not haunted at all? I
2: I would like to live in the house with a good ghost because then that confirms the possibility of something else to me. Yeah. And I don't have to worry. Like if if the ghost is like nice and once I get used to it. That would be pretty sweet, actually.
3: Yeah, that's what I vote for, too.
2: Yeah, okay. okay. All
3: right, I was just curious. Okay, well, keep that in mind, like choices okay. that you make, and here okay. we go. Dear Lindsay and Dan, I only just recently started listening to this podcast from the beginning, and I plan to check out Time Suck once I'm done and caught up on Scared to oh, Death. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that is nice. Don't forget about As We Dumb. That's another one you mm-hmm. can check mm-hmm. out. My best friend Becca told me about your shows, and honestly, until now, I've never been into podcasts. Anyways, I love what you guys are doing and have been listening obsessively ever since, a story from my teen years was featured on your show. I live in Union, Missouri. And mm-hmm. if that sounds familiar, it should. Yep. I was friends with the Lachance family throughout wow. high school. Wow. And let me tell you, while the numerous retellings of the story of the Union Screaming House have led to a few stretches and exaggerations, it was a very real and terrifying occurrence. Jesus. Now, for a little setup of my own story.
2: That was a scary story. That yeah. was one of our scary stories. I know. I, I still think about the little shadow moving back stop. and forth in the window. No, thank yeah. you.
3: Okay. Yeah, sorry. For a little setup on my story, I live in an unassuming modular home built in 1986. I am a literal stone's throw from the property and home I grew up in. Hmm. The area is barely outside of the city limits along the Burbuse River, and there is a lot of history and legend surrounding it. As a kid, I would wander to the woods with my cousins, and we would often go visit an old cemetery that we found containing graves that date back to the early 1800s. Cool. Lots of roads around here reference Native Americans, and so naturally, one could assume that this area has a fairly turbulent and tragic past. Fast forward to 2016, My husband and I have just moved into the basement of the home my parents were renting. We only planned to stay as long as we needed to to get back on our feet, as we were newlyweds that had run into some bad luck. The walkout basement was unfinished, just a big open box with no interior framing. So my husband and I hung a bunch of black sheets to section off a good-sized room, giving us a sense of privacy and the ability to heat our room in the winter. We had a single floor lamp outside of our room to light the way to the stairwell. This light stayed on at all times. One night, while waiting for my husband to get home, I was watching TV in bed, cuddled up with our pets. I very clearly saw a full body of a person walk between the floor lamp and my sheet wall toward the back of the basement. My dog raised his head and grumbled, and I thought to myself how weird it was that I didn't hear anyone come down the stairs. At this point, I called out, Pat? Pat, is that you? No answer. Dad? Dad? Silence. That's when I got a chill, as I remember my mom telling me about how odd things had been happening around this house. Mm. She even had an old tenant show up to get some mail once. They had already moved in, and they mentioned how their daughter always talked about a woman that watched her sleep. With that in mind... And with that in mind, and my dog at my side, I walked out of the room and scanned the cavernous basement. No one was down there. I went upstairs to ask if anyone had been down there, but everyone was asleep in their bedrooms when I got upstairs. Weird. But I shook it off, I moved the light to a different part of the basement, and I returned to bed. Same as every man in any ghost tale, when I tell my husband, he laughs at me and says, I'm being silly. (laughs) He's been in the basement with me while no one is home and heard full-on heavy footsteps, and movement, unintelligible conversations, but he is still adamant that it's nothing. He's one of those. It was about a month or so ago, it was about a month or so after I saw the figure pass in front of the light that my husband and I were lying in bed watching TV. That's, there's that damn figure again, passing between the light and our sheet wall. Not only does the dog see it and start his usual something fucky as a foot (laughs) grumble, but my husband sits up and says, someone down here? I simply answer, yep. He hops out of bed and searches the basement, checks the exterior door, goes upstairs, walks around to all of those exterior doors, then returns to the basement bedroom looking perplexed. All the while, I'm thinking, finally! He'll believe that everyone in the family says about this house is true. Nope. That jerk just comes back into the room and says, hmm, that's odd. I forgot that no one was even home. And promptly seems to forget just how unsettling this situation is. Unexplained noises and catching a figure moving just out of direct sight are commonplace in this house, but we all sort of go on about our business, mildly uneasy, but not at all threatened. Our pets will react to things unseen. Stuff gets moved, whispers are heard, pictures get tilted, all stuff that's easy to explain in a house that's full of people. Eventually, in 2018, my parents buy a farm three hours away and move. They take my two younger sisters, leaving us to figure out what to do next. Well, Out of convenience and the flawless logic that, quote, this house was a steal of a deal, we bought it. Yep, I know. I know exactly what you're always yelling at people for doing. We did it. As we all know, sometimes finances and circumstances leave you no alternative options. We had just finished moving into the master bedroom, and we were working on going through boxes. I was in the dining room, which is where the basement stairs open up to. My husband was taking a break in the living room playing a video game. A female voice quietly echoed up the stairwell. Pat. Pat. My heart plummeted and I looked at my husband. He pulled his headphones away from his ear and turned to me and he said, What's up? (laughs) Oh my God. In a shaky voice, I said, That wasn't me. I told him it came from the basement and I was surprised he even heard it through his headphones. That one unnerved him, I think, but not enough to sway him toward the belief that we share our home with someone else. I still joke that the basement misses him. I keep the door (laughs) at the top of the stairs closed and locked at all times. The occurrences all seem to centralize in what I refer to as the back half of the house, where the guest rooms, guest bath, my office, the stairwell, and our old basement bedroom room are located. A friend of mine actually lived in this house years ago with his family while I was growing up (laughs) in the house across the road, long before we even knew each other. He and his younger brother came over to help me paint the interior, and I casually mentioned the house's personality. My friend commented, I knew she was still here. Wow. My sisters have felt and seen her. My brother has walked up on her, seemingly catching them both off guard. Friends that stayed the night approached me with feelings of being watched, or even seeing someone standing in the back bedroom doorway. Oh my god. While unsettling, none of it has felt malicious. It is now 2020, and the pandemic has led me to almost always being home alone. One day, while working from home, I got a knock at the front door. Three evenly spaced out and very deliberate knocks. Cue dogs barking and me telling them to shut up. I go to the door, unlock it, peer out no one's there. Mind you, my house is at the top of a small hill in the middle of a valley. I can see people coming for a good long way. But there was no one. No sign of a person tearing off through the yard. No brush moving around the small stand of trees over 100 feet from my porch. I figured I would have at least heard footsteps on the wood planks of the porch, but nothing. Feeling a bit shaken, I locked the front door and returned to my work in my office in the back half of the house. It could not have been more than 20 minutes later, and I heard a knock on the laundry room door. Same number and same spacing. Knock, knock, knock. Let me explain that each of my upstairs exterior doors are isolated on different faces of the house and all have distinctly different sounds when knocked upon. They are all also located more towards the front half of the house so the dogs are losing their minds barking growling carrying on cats jump about at my feet and looks around wild-eyed i dash to the laundry room rip it open and no one i checked the front door thinking it was impossible but maybe i misheard where the knock was coming from but no one was there either i even peeked through the sliding glass door in the dining room as i passed back through the house to get to my office by this point both of my dogs were on edge and wouldn't leave my side my cat was snuggled on my lap, essentially trying to merge her fuzzy self into me. And I, well, I was messaging with my husband and Becca about the weird and creepy occurrences. My husband said he, it was probably some kid screwing around or maybe a wayward tweaker. School was in session and we'd never had a ding-dong ditcher. And Becca, who has had her own experiences, was completely freaked out. The next set of knocks came a short time later. Three evenly spaced wraps on the sliding glass door. I froze. I can see the deck that this door opens to from my office window. There's no one there. And this time, instead of running to the door with me to see who's there, my animals stay put and growl as they cower together. Of course, I go to check, already knowing that no one is there. While this is all a bit jarring, there's not much to be done for it, aside from the usual smudging and crystal efforts. After all, it wasn't harmful or violent, just downright creepy. So I continue on with life as normal, nearly forgetting about it until about a month later. I was sitting at my desk. It was a calm, sunny day. One of my dogs was laying in the sun under the window that looks out at the deck. Out of nowhere, the top pane of glass from the window just falls out and comes literal centimeters from landing on him. He jumps up, understandably freaked out, and comes to lay under my desk at my feet where my other dog and cat had already been sleeping. Mm-hmm. I message my husband, telling him about what happened, and I'm so glad we're getting new windows the following week. No sooner than I get the window pane cleaned up and I sit back down to work that the fire alarm goes off in the most active guest room, starting Uh, And starts going off. I head in there, pull down the alarm, and remove the battery, which was a brand new battery. I had just replaced it. And after that, the house feels eerily quiet. All three of my pets vacate the back half of the house, utterly abandoning me for the safety of the living room. That's weird. I messaged Becca to tell her about what had happened, and it got me thinking that it seemed like about a month had passed between the two big events of the knocking and the pain of glass breaking. Looking back at my text messages, not only do I see that they both occurred on the 25th of the month, but they happened around the same time of day, nearly down to the minute. Wow: I wasn't home on the 25th of the last month, and I had a house full of family on the 25th of this month, so I can't say that it's more than a coincidence, but suffice to say, I hope to be out of the house on the 25th of the next month.: <laughs> I know this was a long one, and That's I'm not a good one. And I'm not even altogether sure it's that scary unless it's happening to you in the moment. Becca and I like to say that my house is, isn't haunted so much as it's occupied. With it being a newer build and my experiences with it in the surrounding area, I'm more inclined to believe that it's the land as opposed to any of the buildings. Still, it is strange to think about how the back half of the house is typically so active. It makes me wonder if something or someone was trying to draw me away from the front half of the house on the day of the knocking, and why. Anyways, thanks for reading my story. Hope it makes it on the show. Here it is. Happy (laughs) Hauntings Frizz.
2: Oh, uh, thanks, Frizz. Yeah, I hope uh, you and Becca don't uh, have to deal with too much more.
3: Yeah, Becca and husband. So it's – I Frizz doesn't call it out, but I take it that Becca is staying with them, a friend that
2: – Oh, yes. Because okay, 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 okay husband okay, live yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was – I kept thinking, you know, when you asked me initially that question about, mm-hmm. like, you know, if it was a benevolent or harmless spirit, yeah. would it be that big of a deal? And then I just – um yeah, I wanted to make a note so I didn't forget. But, but even, like, when you talked about, like, the – The woman being seen in the house by a few different people. Like like when the the kids who used to live in the house, now grown up, come over there and are in the house. They talked about as kids, sleepovers, you know, different people seeing like this woman apparition. Yeah. Just how, whether its intentions are bad or good, Mm -hmm. how inherently fucking terrifying that is to have. It just made me imagine in our house. I'm coming up the stairs and I see a, a fucking lady or, dude, whatever, but like a person who I've never seen standing in the kitchen, anywhere, standing anywhere. in the kitchen, standing in the oh, bedroom, God. anywhere at all. Oh, and I got then the chills. Right? And then you're just like, what the fuck? And, and then they just vanish. Oh, that's worse. And then later you see that same thing because what's scary about it is you don't know what its intentions are. True. And I never thought about this, but like why so many stories revolve around haunted houses, mm-hmm. like poltergeists, Well, that's such a common trope or whatever you wanna call it in, in horror that it, it is so scary because your house is supposed to be your safe place. It's like right. why break-in uh, movies are scary. Yeah, you know? because it's
3: a violation of your right. of your sanctuary. Mm-hmm.
2: Like The Purge, you know those kind of like movies Ugh, yeah. where like people are coming into your safest space. Right, right. And violating that. And and that's I think why like hauntings are so especially terrifying is you know, you get away from the world, mm-hmm. you close the, the gate on your fence. you go and you lock the door, you set your ADT security, you know, whatever system you have. Yeah, whatever you're, you're sitting s- there. Yeah. You're your you're, you're, you know it's your little castle like mm-hmm. why they've made that analogy you know and you're safe from the world and then all of a sudden some fucking thing just shows up It just floats through the walls it would just it be so like invasive yeah
3: it's like a violation yeah, yeah yeah it's like
2: no get the fuck like not here right get anywhere else anywhere else man yeah that yeah. that uh, that gave me the chills thinking about uh Especially as it's a kid or whatever mm-hmm. too. Like I mean I mean I guess if you're on a sleepover, thank God you just don't have to go over there again.
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> but if you're a like kid- sleepovers at my house only now, never oh, going to your house again.
2: Just walking through a house and then I'd be like <sighs> how scared I would be to get up and use the bathroom. Yeah. To do anything. And I mean I said earlier at the beginning that I would just get used to it. And I guess I guess if it happened a bunch, okay, if some, if, it, if you didn't get a bad feeling and mm-hmm. you saw, like, this image of a person, mm-hmm. obviously that's going to freak you out. Right. But what if it kind of happened on a regular basis? We can acclimate to so many things. Mm-hmm. I do think if it was never accompanied by any maliciousness, yeah. any feeling, any things being thrown at you, right? I guess you could get used to it and just be like, oh, that's Lois. Right. Or whoever. Mm-hmm. But if there was ever a hint of aggression
3: then well
2: then it's get the fuck out as you would say GTFO if
3: mm-hmm. you can but if, like if
2: you can and that's the other thing you can't like you just get out of a house all the time right i mean uh upside down in a mortgage is such a common thing
3: yeah or just like you know if you sell it you'll okay like in our area where we mm-hmm. live right now like real estate is so on fire
2: yeah what do you, but, where do you what do you go couldn't,
3: we couldn't sell our house and then replace it for the same right. value like you're just in a bad situation and,
2: and are you really gonna financially destroy yourself My to God. just not be scared sometimes or are you going to really fight to be like, you know, sounding like a Darren now, but are you really just going to be like, whatever, it's my life yeah. now is to be terrified and I'm just going to make the best of it?
3: Yeah. Well, and there are things that you can do. I mean, you can have the house blessed. You can, I mean, you can try mm-hmm. other ways to get rid of it. Uh, the thing that freaked me out about this story the most was the being home alone and working by yourself and the three knots. The a-
2: oh, oh yeah, I I say yeah.
3: uh, you can say something else in a second because I especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I was working from home quite a bit and I would work at our kitchen table, which means that like, I'm a stone's throw from the front door. Uh-huh. I can see the back sliding door and there's a door to our garage. So there are three, three. doors. Mm-hmm. And just the fact mm-hmm. that Frizz looked mm-hmm. at the sliding glass door and mm-hmm. heard the knocks from that fucking door. Like, you know, the sound of knocking True. on glass. True. And there was nothing there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be would, terrifying to sound. I would be fucking committed. <laughs> I would be such, I would be sobbing.
2: I thought you were going to mention also the animals not wanting to be in the same part of the house. Oh, yeah. Because that's so, at least with our animals, that's so weird. Yes. Where it's like they they want to be ninety nine percent of the time up your ass. <laughs> they want to be annoyingly close to us. Yeah. If not in our laps, we have 30-pound lap dogs. They want to be laying on our feet or right next to us. Yeah, and if, and if or all this, staring at you. Mm, or staring at us, wanting attention or food or something. And if and if we just, like, went to a different part of the house and the dogs were like, nope, fuck it. If they kind of, like— That alone would be like, what's going on here?
3: I picture, like, Penny and Ginger putting their butts in the air, front paws down, like, huh, mom, that, no.
2: That alone would freak me out. Yeah, Because they've never been scared of any part of the house.
3: No. I think our house is okay. I think so, too. Currently, it feels okay. Remember when it didn't feel okay?
2: For you— Never
0: for me. You
3: had moments, too, where you thought you, there I, was something upstairs. You got upstairs. me sucked into it. I did not.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Whatever. You just don't want to admit it. It's fine. It's fine, Daniel. Do you want to do some shout outs?
2: I do. I want to shout out to some uh, Annabelles. Thank you so much. We're getting ready to re- uh, record our next This Looks Awesome movie review slash club of The Wretched here soon. Ooh. I'm going to watch that. And, Again,
3: uh, can I watch it? You can.
2: You can. Oh, yeah. I forgot to tell you. before. Logan and I, uh, it's going to be this, com- this next Tuesday night. Okay. Is, uh, and, then, and then we'll do the recording the, the following night.
3: We, we record ahead, so you guys, yeah. sorry for the late invite <laughs> to our house to watch the movie. <laughs> uh,
2: but want to shout out to uh, Larissa Astorga, Jake Vatsna, Vatsnall I feel like that he's is, missing a vowel it is
3: not I looked it up I thought the same thing I thought did I because I have mm-hmm. a spreadsheet for this mm-hmm. and I thought oh I must have copy and pasted that somehow some crazy ass mm-hmm. way
2: Jake Uh Jackie Su- uh, Sukup
3: Jackie's been a she's, fan mm-hmm, mm-hmm. forever and,
2: and I, I, I have a uh, deja vu of having trouble with her last name before sometime
3: yeah she's so cute yeah. so
2: Jackie, no, Jackie uh, Michael Morgan okay got that one uh, Jastina Santiago feel pretty good about that one uh, Anne Vanderveer good Ivan Matias Mateus. Pretty good. Kayla Tomsick, Melody Hoshik, Gabrielle Conley, and Ryan. No last name. I definitely know how to pronounce no last name.
3: <laughs> Listen, you guys, if you don't want Dan to potentially butcher your last name, phonetics, let me know and I'll try it. But I just, I give him all the really hard ones. Even when I think I could knock it out of the park, it just kills me to watch you struggle. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Annabelle's Pam. No last name. No, I don't know if this is core or Corey because it's spelled K-O-R-E. There's just so many ways, as I know, to spell is your little name.
2: Accent about the e. It
3: didn't have one, so I'm going to say Cor or Corey mm-hmm. Ely, Caleb Dalby, William Bonner, Jordan Stafford, Jacqueline Pika, David Zink, Richard Marion, Melanie Crump, and Sarah Saltvick.
2: I think David Zink is pronounced Zink. It's David Zink. Really? No. Oh. I just want to see if you'd say that. I would not. <laughs> Mr. Zink. <laughs> uh. That sounds.
3: That also sounds like. Uh, um, Scooby-Doo.
2: Oh, it does a little bit. Zoinks.
3: Yeah, exactly. Also, I have a few spoopy little shout-outs. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday to Sasha a.k.a. Booby, from Brie. <laughs> Happy birthday to Isaac from Kelly. <laughs> Happy birthday to Andrea from Lindsay. Sending some big old love out to Ashley from Trevor, a.k.a. Your Pickle. And sending some love to Dominique from Jordan.
2: Good nicknames, pickle and booby.
3: I know I was dying and booby, not like booby, like B-O-O-B-I-E, but boo B.
2: Oh, I thought I was I was having fun with Booby.
3: Oh, you can have fun with that.
2: Calling somebody booby.
3: Oh, look at this is an email. This doesn't even belong in here.
2: <laughs> well, that uh, that is it for today. Great. I um, uh, hope you liked our stories. I did. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredath You can email everything else to info at scaredath Uh thanks to Logan and Kate. Uh, well, Logan, I guess, uh, uh sorry, I got to update my oh. template. Thanks to Logan for the social media and badmagicmerch.com merch design.
3: Yeah, that's not like a weird thing. Kate is pregnant. They have yeah. three kids. It's just better for their Logan's household. taking over her duties. Kate stepped away. She's still in the background. We still love her. Know <laughs> yeah. her feelings.
2: Uh, and then store at badmagicproductions.com is the email for customer service. Correct. And that's store at badmagicproductions.com. Uh, rebranding a little bit uh, in 2021 Uh, thanks to producer Sophie Evans for help with story curation Joe Paisley Zach Flannery for producing directing Joe directing today Uh, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation Heather Rylander for organizing the my story emails subscribe to Bad Magic Productions please on YouTube if you want to watch Mm -hmm. and follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content At Scared to Death podcast, or to see the pictures we talk about in the stories, and we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, with over eleven thousand members right now. Loving all those horror lovers, I like it. Thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating. And if you don't want to hear more ads, if you want more, uh, you know, content, monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon and get the entire catalog ad free and so much more.
3: Yeah, if you're an Annabelle, you can get. Oh yeah, these 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 limited editions. Wait, you show that side. Look it, we can show the mugs both Mm -hmm. sides, Mm -hmm. kind of.
2: And you're wearing the t shirt. And I have the, the Annabelle shirt, which I love.
3: Unintentional, but good job.
2: <laughs> Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye, y'all. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may
0: pass through but have no home here within. Scared to death.
3: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not
2: alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier.
3: I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self.
2: Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash scared to death.